Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, y'all? want to welcome you back to the Hunt Stand Podcast, Season 2, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The Hunt Stand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener, will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high-quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with Stealth Cam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure you check out their website today, StealthCam.com. Hunt Stand Podcast Season 2. Buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. Well, PJ, man, you ready to get this thing started? I'm ready. We're recording on all fronts. Well, PJ, first and foremost, want to welcome you to the Hunt Stand Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me this morning, especially after tournament time for you. So it's busy for y'all. So, man, just thanks for hopping on with me this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite. I sure appreciate it, Will. So kind of want to talk to you this morning about a bunch of different things. I mean, we can go down some rabbit holes if we want, but realistically, I want to find out more about yourself and kind of give newer archers a little bit of advice for somebody that might be listening to this it's getting into it for the first time so we'll go down some rabbit holes with that but man can you share with us a little bit about yourself before we get started sure yeah i i am uh right where i am lancaster i'm born and raised within an hour of here I've lived different places but mm-hmm. i've always been within an hour of here um and i was one of those kids uh, my dad brought home a bow. He was a, a high school principal. So he had, you know, I don't know if it still is, but way back when yeah. uh, archery was in the schools, <laughs> it was part of gym class. He brought me home a bow. I'm going to say I was like 10 years old. And Sweet. I was just one of those kids where, man, that was the coolest thing that I had ever experienced. I was just like, yes, this is something I need to do. <laughs> Heck yeah. 
So I've just been shooting a bow of some form ever since then. Um, and then of course, as I started, you know, after college, I, uh, got into compound and started to get into bow hunting and mm -hmm. then came across Lancaster archery and, um, Rob Caulfield, the owner, this would have been uh, late eighties, early nineties. Um, he had leagues and what I discovered was, Hey, I love bow hunting, but I might shoot my bow maybe once or twice when I'm out in the stand. I like shooting my bow. So he had leagues. And so that's how I got into target archery, just started shooting target leagues. And then it just went nuts from there <laughs> as far as what things happen. And, and I always knew I, I graduated from college with an English degree. Yeah. And what I wanted to do in my mind was I wanted to write for the magazines. The magazines back then just fascinated me. And I was like, man, I just want to be in those. I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't know what to do, how to mm -hmm. do it. So I just started looking at the articles, you know, North American whitetail magazine. What do they need? Some unknown kid writing about, oh, strategies to hunt the rut. They got 50 guys they can pick from to do that. Yeah. <laughs> So I just started picking out weird, obscure things. Mainly I started with destinations that I, you know, just looked at the magazines and said, all right, well, they're not writing about this place. Is it any good? Is it something? And so that's how I kind of wormed my way in doing stuff. Like, I don't know if people know this, but the back in the nineties, when I was doing this, the toughest whitetail tag in the country to get was a non-resident north dakota firearms tag really minimum minimum five years to draw that tag minimum never would have thought i and i'm you know i'm looking at all the magazines i'm reading about all the states around it I'm like man, nobody's writing in, there's no tv shows nobody's doing anything on north dakota why not there's got to be deer there so i found out oh man that that tag is tough to get so i got one i went out there it was ridiculous you know boom, I'm in Buckmaster's magazine and, you know, just kind of doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I went to, uh, Texas to hunt sandhill cranes over decoys. I went to Iceland to hunt, uh, um, reindeer, reindeer, caribou. Yeah. Before anybody else had gone there, you know, I went to the Arctic and shot a muskox, just weird stuff <laughs> that, then that got me in the door. And then, you know, once you're in the door, it's much easier to kind of do what you want. Um, oh, yeah. so that's what I kind of, uh, you know, and that was, uh, kind of a side business. Mm -hmm. I was a news reporter for 25 years. Serious. Um, so yeah. And, you know, right here in Lancaster. So I was always around Rob Caulfield and Lancaster archery and, mm -hmm. And he, maybe 15 years ago, he said, I saw him somewhere, you know, we were friends and he said, Hey, I'm going to get my website set up with a blog and video and stuff. And you're going to come work for me. And I was like, yeah, right. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then he called me one day and he's like, Hey, my website's ready, man. Let's do this. <laughs> and so I, I came in here. It was kind of a blank slate. He didn't really have an idea of what to do. I didn't really have an idea of what to do. <laughs> he was just like, let's just figure this out as we go. That's sweet. And so that was 10 years ago now. 
Really? So, yep. Man, and it's just taken off and it's flourished for y'all. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, one of the first, one of his things was, this was a direction from him was he was like, you know, he's like all these bows and products and stuff come out. And he said, not everybody has a pro shop around them. He's like, I, I would wish we could show people just what these things do, what they look like something, the next best thing to having it in your hands. Yeah. So that was kind of where the product videos started from. And there weren't really, there really weren't, any of those for archery back then when we started doing them no um so we just kind of you know picked our way along and kind of made our own map as we went and uh yeah like you said it did turned out to be pretty good oh man <laughs> i gotta say i've been watching you for years now and so it's it's been really cool to watch it just grow and just get exponentially bigger. And I mean, I, yeah. I, I actually got to go up to uh, Lancaster oh, two years ago. I used to work for a camo brand that we were sponsoring an elk shape camp that they were hosting there. And I got, oh, to, yeah. I got to come up there and see everything y'all got going on. And I was, yeah. I was in heaven, man. I'm just going up there and all the different indoor <laughs> ranges y'all have. Cause down here in Texas, I mean, there's not too many indoor leagues or they're kind of far and few between. So just getting to go up there and see that I was in hog heaven, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, so you were, a lot of those ranges are part of our Lancaster archery Academy. So yep. again, you know, just Rob Coffle just has these ideas. And one of them was, he was like, well, where can people go to learn archery? I mean, realistically, there were clubs and, you know, you could go there. This and, you know, this is really before S3DA was a thing. Joe Ad was around, but, you know, it wasn't huge. And yeah. so he said, hey, let's start our own academy. And so, you know, we've been teaching people how to get into archery and that has just taken off. And, um, you know, just his his dedication to archery over his life is is just been just one idea after another you know what can we do to get archery out there yeah um, so and, and i will say you know as a business the you know somebody like me how do you how do you what is my value in dollars and cents mm -hmm. i don't know i don't necessarily you know yeah i'm helping on the marketing side but yeah you don't see people like me at other companies where Rob sees the value of, okay, we're getting the word. His thing always thing is if we make archery bigger, Lancaster archery will be fine. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of his approach as opposed to we need Lancaster archery to make this much money this week. He's, inve I, he's invested in y'all invested in the, people. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he he wants the sport to do well, and then his thing is, hey, if the sport does well, we're fine. Oh yeah, so, which is kind of is unique and refreshing at the same time to see somebody with that because yeah. we do some stuff that costs the company a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> there's no immediate A B investment return in some of the stuff we yeah. do. Yeah. You just have to believe. <laughs> exactly, man. And that's it's you don't see a whole lot of leadership like that across the outdoor industry. I mean and any company for that matter. It's it's rare. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um he he's definitely unique. That's probably why, you know, he and I just have got along for years. I mean, I know when mm -hmm. I was just starting out as a writer, his words to me were, 
anything you need, you want to come in and try something, don't hesitate. Come on in here, play with whatever, you know, anything you need, I'm here for you. And, you know, he, he didn't have to do that. That's pretty awesome, though. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, man, let's, uh, I want to, we'll, we'll get into the whole aspect of getting people into bow hunting, you know, those first timers, giving them some advice in a little bit, but I want to yeah. kind of talk with you about, you know, tell us how you first got into bow hunting and what really drew you to it. You know, like when, do you remember that first deer that you got, you know, your first bow oh, yeah. kill, man? Absolutely. It was a button buck. Nineteen ninety one, ninety one or ninety two, mm-hmm. a button buck. The thing I remember most was back then the lighted pins that we used. It was actually there was a light in the pin. It was a metal pin, and so when you turn this thing on, it was shining a light directly back at you. Absolutely yeah. the worst thing you could do. Yeah, <laughs> you can't see past it, but no. we didn't know. <laughs> So I shot this button buck. It was the first thing I shot. And I remember taking aim and being like, man, I don't even know if I'm going to hit this thing, let alone hit it where I need to. Yeah. Shot it. And the thing ran off, fell over dead. Boy, I I almost fell out of the tree stand. I think. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, part of the reason for that was I I was kind of, self-made getting into it i did not my dad brought you know brought me that bow when i was a kid but he was not a hunter nobody in my family hunted mm-hmm. so i just kind of picked my way into it and uh i remember going before i shot that deer i knew i was like man i gotta that's that's a big responsibility to shoot this thing at a deer to yeah. kill it and i don't know what i can hit so i started doing 3d shooting I remember the first 3D shoot I went to, I took a dozen arrows in and I came home with none. I lost every one of them. (laughs) Been there, done that. So I was like, well, all right, now I see what I need to work on here. Um, So yeah, it was, it was not, I would say it was not a simple process Mm -hmm. for me to get into it. But I just knew that I loved everything about it and whatever it took, I was going to do it. Um, so yeah, just, uh, and funny thing, my, the first buck I shot was this four pointer. I remember sitting out, I had this group of 13 bucks patterned Jeez. and the first day of the season I'm sitting there and the smaller ones are coming. Now I've never shot a buck before. Mm-hmm. And these bucks are coming through and I'm passing up sixes and small eights. And I remember the thought occurring to me, Hey, you know, I've never shot one of these before. Maybe I better get one under my belt before I get picky. (laughs) Yeah. And so by the time I picked one to shoot out, it was out there distance and I missed. And so then I was like, all right, the first, the next first one that comes in, I'm shooting that thing. Mm -hmm. It was a four pointer. (laughs) And you got her done. yeah, it's funny what you get in your head about what you should do. And it's like, uh, maybe get some experience first. <laughs> yeah, get some experience. And then the thing that I've noticed is, you know, I've been bow hunting since I was a kid. And I, the thing I've come across is there's some shots that happen great. And then there's other ones that, you know, they're, they're those chip shots, you know, 25 and under that something goes awry, something goes wrong and you miss. And I mean, absolutely. Those are the ones you learn from, though, right? The, the deer that lives 
freshest in my head is a giant that I just missed two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. The biggest buck I've ever seen in Pennsylvania. And I missed him at like 27 yards, oh. you know. <laughs> oh. Giant. Yeah, neighbor killed him. It was a 157-inch eight-pointer. That's a big deer. It was big. <laughs> that's a big, that's a big deer. Yeah. yeah. He was a giant. So yeah. But Hey, you know what? As much as it stings, man, that thing lives super fresh right in my brain. And oh. it was just fun chasing him, you know? Oh, all the time, man. It's like, it's, it's one of the things that, you know, I've helped some friends and people get into bow hunting and, um, they always ask me like, man, have you ever missed a deer? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And if you ever talk to a bow hunter that says they've never missed, they're lying. Yeah. They absolutely lying. you know uh levi morgan yeah is the best unknown distance shooter in the world yeah absolutely uh i think it was last year or the year before he missed a deer and it was the only one where he didn't use his range finder serious <laughs> he said you know i was like i've talked to him about it before and he says oh yeah when i'm hunting heck yeah i use a range finder oh, a thousand percent <laughs> And here he, he had a deer come in fast. He didn't have time to get it. So he had to judge it and he missed. <laughs> Crap. It happens so, yeah. to the best of them. Absolutely. <laughs> well, man, speaking of bow hunting, you know, as an experienced bow hunter yourself, you know, let's kind of talk to that new bow hunter and maybe even some of those seasoned guys that have been doing it for a while. You know, they might be able to pick something out, pick something up from this themselves. But to kind of get started, what are some main pieces of advice that you would give to people that just picked up a bow for the first time. Right. Right. So the main thing, one of the biggest things that I wish I could stress is don't pay attention to what your buddies do. Archery is drawing and shooting a bow is more about coordination than strength. Yes. And I have seen big, huge, bodybuilder guys come in and they can't draw a 70 pound bow back because they don't have the coordination really but everybody comes in and they think well my buddy shoots 70 pounds and i'm as big as he is so i have to shoot 70 Mm -hmm. pounds and we're like man if you can get one of those super adjustable bows where you can start out at 30 and get the coordination down and then increase the poundage because if you start out shooting heavy weight that's just a recipe for disaster. Oh yeah. You're going to shake. The arrows are going to go all over the place. You're going to punch the trigger. You're going to do everything wrong. Mm -hmm. And so what we like to see, even though, you know, you may not, you're not going to get the Matthews phase four as your first bow. Yep. Sorry. Um, you know, getting one of those bows with the super adjustable range. Yes. Um, big time. It is the main thing that I like to stress to people. You know, I, I know your buddy shoots 70 pounds. You'll get there, <laughs> but start out here so that you're comfortable shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the one of the main things I see at our shop. If I could stress that to people. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's kind of one of the things that I used to see. I managed an archery shop myself and I would have those guys that come in like, man, my buddy's got the Hoyt RX four at the time. And I want to get that. I was like, okay, cool. You know, what have you shot before? It's like, oh, I've never shot a bow before. I was like, well, let's take a step back. Let's, let's back up <laughs> yeah. just a little bit and let's, let's take you over here to like a, what was it back then? Like a Bowtech convergence. Uh-huh. You know, 
super adjustable. I think it was like 10 to 70 pounds. Draw length yeah. was insane. And those guys would shoot that bow for a while. And then they'd come back into the store and be like, okay, now I want the RX4. It's like, all right. Exactly. Well, let's yeah. get you into that then, man. Yeah, because even if you can get one of the um, one of the flagship bows that maybe goes down to like 50 pounds. Yeah. That's kind of a waste because you're only getting 10 pounds of adjustment. So mm -hmm. as soon as you're proficient with it, it's no good to you anymore because you're not going to want that. But you can use one of those ones that, like you said, go from 10 to 70. There's several of them on the market. Oh, yeah. And you can use that for a while before you say, all right, now I'm going to ready to go to a better one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we kind of talked on the bows a little bit on that, but uh, let's kind of talk about, you know, the whole accessory side to it, because I feel like this is a, a part that people could get themselves into a little bit of trouble if, you know, if they get too much accessory per se. So, yep. What are some key yeah. factors to think about with that? So I like to see people, Hey, you know, you don't have to go overboard, get mm -hmm. what you we're just learning this. Keep it simple. You know, um, when you're shooting the bow, does it a simple sight, you know, three, four, five pin sight. Yeah. There's lots of great stuff out there. That's expensive. True glow makes okay. some super, uh, sites that really aren't very expensive that are under a hundred bucks yeah. that will still do what you need it to. I mean, they, they're plenty bright in low light. Um, and then, you know, like, uh, uh, the, the rests have gotten better. Um, something like a QAD, uh, there are lower end versions that aren't super expensive that function simply, but a whisker biscuit can't go wrong there. No. Why not start The tried and true whisker, man. God, you're not going <laughs> to, the odds of you doing something to it are slim and the odds of it failing are none, pretty mm -hmm. much none. Um, so yeah, it's cool to have all the fancy gadgets, but to start out, why not keep it simple, a simple little bit of weight under your hand, um, as a stabilizer, just to kind of get that bow balanced. You don't have to go crazy with side rods and 15 inch front bars, just something to put a little weight there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keeping it, I think keeping it simple to begin with, uh, just so you don't get you know, if you go out there with a drop away rest and you don't know what you're doing, the odds of you recognizing the little problems that come up with them yes. are probably none. Yeah. Um, you know, your cable slips a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, your draw cable, you, you probably won't notice that. Um, don't have to worry about that with a whisker biscuit. <laughs> no, you don't. Not at all, man. Not at all. Well, yeah. So you can, you can outfit a bow, you know, with accessories, you can have your accessories. You can get everything you need for under $200. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing that's, that's a great way to get started out. And so I think a lot of people out there listening should take heed to that advice. I mean, obviously though, if they've been into it for a while, they get, you know, whatever they prefer, they test and tinker and whatnot. Uh, what I want to talk about next is, you know, whether they've been shooting a while, they just got started out, you know, what are some tips or techniques you may have for uh, maintaining accuracy, practicing, and really developing good shooting consistencies? Right. Um, so I think learning 
how to use a release properly uh, is yes. probably would probably be high on my list um, because you know you see we see so many people the probably the most popular release for bow hunters is going to be any kind of index finger trigger yep and shooting one of those properly is even me i'm teaching myself now how to shoot that thing properly without mm -hmm. slamming that trigger rattlesnake it's, it's it. hard <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a hard thing because yes. your brain wants you to hit that trigger but when you do it properly your shooting just gets so much more consistent i found to where you don't have the big oopses mm -hmm. it, it just you know you may not drive tax to begin with um but you know just pulling through that shot using that back tension even with an index finger release i, I think that's that's real hard to learn it's probably easier for a beginner because you don't know anything better it's harder for older guys like me yeah um but it, same thing with a thumb release if you're doing that learning to pull through the shot rather than squeeze that thumb mm -hmm. stuff like that if you can get the proper release down man it just makes life so much oh. simpler you know you you yes. don't have the issues with target panic where it's uh pins in the middle shoot you know that's bad <laughs> yeah don't do that um, don't do that <laughs> well Let's kind of talk, let's kind of go through some of each of those releases. You know, you've kind of talked about index, it's tried and true. Um, you know, and if you can, I feel like if you can master that one really well, you're going to be pretty good off. I mean, that's, I, I chose yeah. to actually go back to an index finger this year for a couple of different reasons. One of those was I was mule deer hunting in Arizona and I did not have my thumb release on a wrist strap or anything. I had some mule deer coming right at me. I had a shoot through decoy. So I'm sitting there trying to range everything between me. And, you know, if I left my release on the string, it's going to bang around. So there's reason that's main reason why I went back to the index. Um, yeah. But talk to us a, a little bit about, you know, that, that thumb release that I feel like is beginning to over become super popular over the index. Yeah. So a lot of people like, well, one of the main things people like about those thumb releases are the ones that you can just clip on the string, the D loop and hang it there. Yeah. And then you don't, you know, the, you don't have the wrist strap around your wrist, you know, this, especially tree stand hunters, spot mm -hmm. and stalk. This probably isn't the best deal, but tree yeah. stand hunters, man, if you can just hang that thing on the D loop, that's awesome. And then yeah. you stick your hands in your pocket. You don't have that release in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, but then um, also people just like that, the, the, you know, the kind of the T position of drawing the bow back with that handheld release. It just is something that feels more natural um, than trying to use a wrist strap. Um, so that's another reason folks like it. And, you know, they feel a little more accurate using the trigger. Um Things like that. I, one thing I found is I love a thumb trigger, but I can't hunt with one because my activation with a thumb trigger is relaxing. So I have my thumb tight on the barrel and then I just kind of relax my fingers, which pulls my thumb into the trigger and fires uh. it. 
like they call it uh like your fingers going through the monkey bars you just kind of hang in there and you yeah. just kind of let go but yep. your thumb stays on the barrel well i discovered when i'm hunting and it's time to take the shot i can't relax <laughs> i'm so tensed up especially when you got that big like, buck in front of you man exactly i was like yeah this isn't working <laughs> so i've gone back to the index uh just for that reason because it's easier for me to pull through mm -hmm. than to relax <laughs> you know um I, i've seen some other people like bigger names going back to indexes to hunt with because of reasons like you're talking about yeah, it's a, so one of the things that I will say, like Tim Gillingham, one of the best archers in the world, mm -hmm. he will preach this. And I've heard other archers who use handheld say it is you get the straightest line with the index finger release. Yeah. Once you start putting things out to the side, you know, especially three finger, four finger, you're adding leverage to the side of the bowstring that just isn't there with the index. You're mm -hmm. only coming straight back. Yeah. And, you know, you'll see a lot of target archers or some of them who, if they shoot a handheld, they'll actually shoot only two fingers. That again is to get things straighter. Um, you know, they don't want that hand kicking off to the side with three and four fingers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the index, it, it, a lot of archers are big fans of the fact that it's the straightest line yeah. for going straight back. Well, that and then the other thing that kind of got me wondering, which I haven't really gone down any rabbit holes with this one, but, you know, that you see a lot of guys that there's different positions that when they get back to their anchors that they're holding at the release that you see them rotate that wrist or some may keep it at that flat 90 or straight up 90. So, I mean, yeah, they're torquing on that string, aren't they? It, well, if your D loop is short, you will cause a little bit of torque. If you make your D loop long enough and... Um, there's two basic uh, ropes that are used in um, for D loops. One's a 24 and one's a 23. Yeah. 23 is skinnier. If you go to that 23, it's more flexible and skinnier. If you go to 23 and have a longer D loop, like I'm going to say about an inch or so, you're not going to have much torque on that string. It's able to twist before you get the string, but gotcha. so many people come from the shop with the 24 and it's super short. Yeah. If you turn your hand sideways, depending on the jaw of the release that you're using, you can torque that string pretty good. Huh. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'll have to remember that whenever I'm setting up the next bow. For yeah. BCY 23. That's, that's kind of the, the target guys, that's pretty much what they all use, target archers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I know we kind of went down a rabbit hole there with releases and equipment, but I kind of want to come back to hunting. You know, yep. talking to the same guy or gal out there, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, ethical considerations that come with bow hunting and the and just the importance of responsible hunting you know how yeah. have you kind of kept that in your mind over the years and how do you preach that to people so it's kind of something that i i think you have to you kind of have to it's hard to have the to know what is ethical and not ethical in the beginning yeah because you don't you haven't really had the mistakes yet to know that what doesn't work and what does. Um, and then I think you get a better picture. Um, 
you know, learning what is exactly broadside. There's lots of variations of broadside. Yes. <laughs> and for you to know, uh, actually, he's kind of quartered towards me just a little bit. Yeah. Which then sends things backwards. Yeah. Or you have to hit it in the shoulder. I, I think that takes some experience. Um, and then just coming down to there comes a point, you know, I have a lot of bow hunting friends who are like, Hey, I've, I've never missed a shot. I haven't mm -hmm. taken. Well, yeah, I get that. But I know that that giant buck that I missed, that was a shot I shouldn't have taken. I know it. And two weeks later, I had that deer again at 50 yards. Um, and it was, I feel perfectly comfortable shooting 50, but it was one of those nights that's just dead calm yes i mean you can hear fleece ruffle <laughs> and this thing is out in the field and i could tell he just he was not comfortable mm -hmm. he didn't like being out in that field there was nobody around and i was like i know if i take this shot he is gonna step he's gonna drop he's gonna do something and 50 yards is a long way that's what was going through my head maybe none of that would have happened maybe i would have center punched him all I knew was I was like, the last thing I want to do is see that arrow hit him in the guts or the butt or something. Yeah. And so I, I didn't take it. I was just like, I, I realize he's bigger than anything I've ever shot, but I don't want to do that. And, you know, I, I think that that's just something people have to come to themselves. Mm -hmm. Somebody else, you know, somebody like Levi Morgan, he, he might feel way more comfortable doing that than me that's you know every everybody's different but i'd say you know once you know the thing i like to say is you get to a point where it's like i will kill that deer i know i can take that shot and i'm gonna kill it that's the kind of shots i like to stick with there's no doubt yeah. in my mind i'm gonna kill that deer yeah that's a good way to look at it you know I, um but then you run into those issues where you should have killed that deer at 25 and like what happened, it happened. this past year and it just happened. Something goes weird or wrong. Exactly. It just, it, it's going to happen no matter what. I think if you bow hunt enough, mm -hmm. it will happen, but that's kind of calculating the odds. It's like, exactly. yeah, nine times out of 10, I am going to kill that deer. Yeah. Some, sometimes just that, things go weird. Always <laughs> at one time though. So yes. spe speaking of kind of like the, speaking on that note, what are some specific bow hunting challenges or obstacles that you've encountered over the years that you've overcome or how, how did you handle them and go at them, you know, head on? In terms of as far as bow hunting or like accessing, I mean, land access is the biggest Let's talk where both. I'm from. We could talk yeah. both. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I would have to say that a lot of your land access there in PA is pretty probably pretty similar to here in Texas as well. Just we've got really tall fences, which is unfortunate. But yeah, let's let's talk <laughs> let's talk both, man. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, so I, what I found is, I think if people figure out what they want from bow hunting, I know if I were willing to travel several hours mm -hmm. to bow hunt, yeah, I could find a lot of really good hunting. For me bow hunting is primarily at home. Yeah. Primarily something I like to do before work, after work, mm -hmm. Saturday morning. 
Um, so I, I want it to be close. Um, that's, that's a priority for me. And yeah. so then I just started looking from there and it's not the best hunting. I'll be the first to admit that, but it's close Yeah, and that has value to me. Um, so then I'm not as disappointed when I go out and don't shoot something or don't see anything. I I've adjusted my expectations to where it's like, yeah, I didn't see anything today, but I'm also not four hours away. I can yeah. go home and do whatever I need to do. Um, so I think that took me a while as, cause property around here is, is getting smaller. Um, you know, it's, it's funny there. We just have two and a half acres. Well, I hunt my two and a half acre, the neighbor and his kid hunt their 11 acres and the guy next to them hunts his six acres. So in 20 acres, there's probably 10 guys hunting <laughs> the same deer and all seeing the yeah. same deer more than likely. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's some people will be like, ah, I don't like that then, but I understand what it is and it's right outside my back door. I, that you know as i said that has value to me as well yeah you can't complain about that man yeah to be able to walk out the door and shoot a deer uh yeah that's that's cool to me (laughs) right and you know the thing about that too is i feel like uh your chances of giving up on bow hunting for you know speaking to somebody new or you know just anybody in general is your chances to give up that are less likely versus uh, you know one of the things i've seen is guys get into bow hunting because they saw the Western elk hunts get romanticized over the years due to, to YouTube. They head out West, they put in all this time shooting and doing all this work and they go out there and they may not even have an encounter and they come back and they just give up. Yes. Yeah. And that's man. I mean, that's, that's, that's like where you're talking about the whole expectation thing. It's like, if you're going out West to do something like that, you know, they usually say your odds are what one in every five years to kill an elk with a bow. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever you go out there to do that, it's kind of like what you're saying is setting the right expectations to go bow hunting and doing that. Whereas if you're walking out your backyard, it's like, oh, you know, I didn't get anything this afternoon. You just keep at it. Exactly. Yeah. Keep going. You know, I, it's, I do feel kind of bad for bow hunters now when, when I was, when I was heavy into the travel hunting in the Mm nineties, man, bow hunting was affordable. I mean, at the time I was single, I didn't have a great paying job, Mm -hmm. but I could afford it because it didn't cost a ton. I mean, I see prices now. I'm like, holy cow, that's insane. I I just saw a caribou hunt that came across my email for (laughs) $22,000. One caribou, you're on a spike camp. I mean, it's like harsh conditions. And I'm thinking, I went caribou hunting in the 90s when everybody did it it was like 1800 bucks two bulls they flew you and everything there it cost nothing Jeez. <laughs> and now it's like wow you gotta i would not pay twenty two thousand dollars to to go shoot a caribou no. paid 1800 sure that was fun so it's it's different now i i I feel bad, like for my nephew that he wants to do all these hunt, yeah. these exotic places, but man. And then, so he's doing the public land route. Yeah. You know, good for him. He went to Utah last year. I don't think he ever even saw an elk. It just, 
it is what it is. <laughs> it is, man. And I, I've had that, you know, last year I went bow hunting for elk in Colorado. Uh, last year was actually the first time I went out that I didn't have an opportunity at an elk. Is that time. right? Yeah. First time. And I've been, that was year, year four, I believe for me. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it happens, nice. but I, I'm still sticking at it. And like you have kind of got a place close to home that I can go hop out there on the weekend and, you know, we got something going on for the kiddos. I can still be here for that too. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, expectations, I would say are, are a big thing to adjust. And, and, you know, again, for your starting out, Hey, if a doe comes by and you got a doe tag, shoot that thing. Smoker. Just just to get that experience. Yes. You know, there's no nothing, no shame, nothing to look down at and shooting a doe. By all means, mm -hmm. go for it. And it's probably going to be better eating anyway than oh, yeah. a big nasty old buck anyway. Well, and I think people probably look, you know, to kind of on that note that you're talking about, you know, don't pass up on those does. I think people are afraid that, oh, man, if I don't kill that buck and get a picture for Instagram, then, you know, people are going to shame me. It's like, no, you're killing meat and putting meat in the freezer. Yes. Good meat, too. Yes. You know where it came from and what it was eating and all that stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, kind of kind of talking on that that note, you know, I know we're getting out of time here, but. uh what would you say for you has been the most rewarding part of not only your career, I mean, because your career is also archery, it's bow hunting, but what has been the most rewarding part for you in, in all of it? I guess I, I would ask. Uh, I think, so what I like doing is I like creating content, whether it's articles, videos, or whatever, that, that, either entertain people or help them in some fashion. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to do. I, I'm not the best hunter. I'm not the best target shooter. I'm not the best of any of that, but I, I think I can use my skills to either entertain or educate in some fashion. And so for me, when I hear people saying, you know, either, Oh man, I watched that video. I was laughing. That was so funny. Bah, bah, bah. Or, Hey, I, you know, tried this out that you said, and that really worked for me. I, yeah. I would say that's rewarding. Just hearing that people appreciate what, what I, and we do. Um, I, you know, I like that. Well, man, that's pretty cool. You do a lot for the archery community you have for years now. And I mean, you've taught me a lot. I mean, when I first became a technician, I mean, I can remember watching a lot of your stuff, just trying to learn and do the best that I could for my customers. So, I mean, Definitely learned a lot from you myself, uh, but man, I mean, it's, it's just been cool to watch the whole journey of Lancaster archery and everything that y'all have done. So man, just kudos to y'all. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I got to pinch myself, you know, my wife works in a hospital and you know, that has its struggles and she comes home and, yeah. and she's having a particular, she had a particular rough day and I'll be like, man, well, you know what I had to do? I had to make a video about a new bow today. <laughs> Life is hard. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I really don't have room to complain about anything. <laughs> no, I'm kind of right there with you. It's whenever people ask me like, what do you got going on for work today? It's like, oh, you know, I got to gotta create some content and record some podcasts. And they're like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was in news for 25 years, you know, you get, you get, 
uh, into kind of, I don't know if specialty is the right word, but there's things that you're, if it happens, you're always going to be the one who goes to it. Yeah. And however it happened, I don't even know for some reason for me, it was homicides. And so I sat down one time and I think over 25 years, I probably investigated report on about 300 murders. Whoa, man, that gets old. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, she's, I'll never forget when Rob called me to come work here it was a time where we had just had back to back to back three weeks in a row of murders. And it's like, I just am tired of seeing people do horrible things to each other. Yeah. I need to do something else. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So this coming in, playing with new archery equipment, talking to folks like yourself, I got to pinch myself every day. Heck yeah, man. Well, tell the folks real quick out there, you know, if they may not have found Lancaster Archery yet, they're getting started. Where can they find everything that you do, PJ? Yeah, sure. Lancaster Archery. We have Facebook and YouTube. Um, and we have our website, LancasterArchery.com. Um, so some folks may not realize we have, we sell products online and then we have a pro shop as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of hit both ends of the spectrum there. Um, and then, of course, kind of an arm of what we do is competition archery media where we broadcast professional tournaments. Uh, mainly now it's the uh, ASA Archery Shooters Association and USA Archery events um, and competitionarcherymedia.com or Competition Archery Media on YouTube. We got lots of stuff going on at those different places. Sweet. Well, love watching it all, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being successful. Love it, man. Appreciate your time today. Hey, thank you, Will. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. We'll have to do it again. Yes, sir. <laughs>